This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com, and you are listening to The Prospect Podcast. Today is Thursday, September 3rd. I'm still not great with knowing what day it is and certainly not what the date is in a given month, but I know we are one week away from the start of the NFL season, which again is crazy and exciting. Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be a fun opening game to the start of the NFL season, and I hope everything runs smoothly with this full 16-game schedule, playoff, Super Bowl, all of that. A lot of news yesterday. It seems like every day I'm not short on topics to talk about on this podcast. I'll start on the draft side of things. Jamie Newman, the Georgia quarterback, decided to opt out of the college football season this year, transferred, of course, from Wake Forest to the Bulldogs, but will never play a down at Georgia because he has entered in the 2021 NFL draft. I'm a big fan of his. And what was weird about the immediate reaction to Jamie Newman opting out was this thought, oh, he's he's maybe a day two pick. He's not really a top prospect. He could have been, he could have been a first rounder had he played at Georgia this season. But really everything that he did uh, in 2018 and then last year as the full-time starter at Wake Forest, he's really not a top-tier prospect. I have a scouting report up right now on CBSSports.com that outlines everything that I saw Jamie Newman do in the five categories in which I grade quarterbacks. And there's gifts from film that I pulled from the Wake Forest film last year that illustrate his accuracy to all levels of the field, his pocket management, the way that he subtly drifts away from pressure inside the pocket and still delivers the football accurately, the ability to read the entire field. He didn't do it a ton at Wake Forest last year. A lot of it was quick game stuff or if you get one-on-one on the outside, take a three-step drop, wait a second and throw it up to Sage Surratt or Scotty Washington. But there were times where he did have to move through his progressions, and I thought Jamie Newman did it very well. And then beyond all those nuances, if you didn't know anything about 
Jamie Newman's size and his athleticism, just the quarterbacking nuances to me were pretty high caliber for someone that was really entering his first year as a full-time starter in the ACC. He played four games in 2018 as a sophomore and played pretty well. There was an upset win over NC State uh, with Ryan Finley and, and some of those players. And Jamie Newman was this green, young quarterback playing or filling in for an injured starter and played pretty well. But beyond all that, he's also six foot four, 230 pounds, very chiseled frame, and he's very athletic. Wake Forest used a lot of run pass option, and a lot of times he would keep the football on those run pass options, and used, they used him in the designed running game pretty frequently. And there weren't just four- and five-yard runs. He hit some big plays down the field with his legs. So, yes, I'm not, I, I can't ignore what happened down the stretch at Wake Forest last season. Uh, and when I did a scouting profile on Jamie Newman last year, uh, it was almost right when that article came out in like early November, I think, or, or when I was really promoting it, that after that, things kind of went south for Jamie Newman and that Wake Forest offense. But he got injured. Sage Sherratt was lost for the year. Scotty Washington got hurt. His main receivers that were really elevating Wake Forest skill position players on the same level as some of the top-tier teams in the ACC, uh, once they were gone, he was really pressing the issue. That game against Clemson at Clemson was really a good barometer for – it was kind of the litmus test for how good is Jamie Newman, and he had a really bad performance. I don't remember if all of those wide receivers were out for that game, uh, but – Later in the year, game against Virginia Tech, they ultimately lost late in the season. Had some really good throws in that game, threw a couple interceptions, one was tipped. Uh, but Jamie Newman, to me, what he did in the first two months of the season with his arm strength, his size, and his athleticism, coupled with a lot of the advanced quarterbacking skills that he showed, I thought he was a first-round pick. Like, he had first-round talent across the board and I was fully expecting like a lot of people that at Georgia in Todd Modkin's offense that is vertical based that it was going to be perfect for him and there was going to be more traditional uh, elements to the passing attack and when I say traditional I mean not always under center 1995 football I mean like classic in terms of how quickly things move from the college to the NFL games in terms of philosophies, how quick they evolve. It was, he was doing NFL stuff. It wasn't just bubble screens and, um, and a lot of run pass options. He was going to be in a system that was going to translate to today's NFL. So we're not going to see that. And of course, and I wrote in my article that is now up on cbssports.com that he certainly lost a huge opportunity to significantly raise his stock. There's no doubt about that. But I really liked what I saw from him. And, and we've seen players go early in the draft at the quarterback position that don't have three and four years of starting experience. He will be kind of an enigma because really only in that one season and it didn't end well. And I always think that what's interesting about how a player's season plays out if Jamie Newman started 
the season like it ended. Like if his last two or three games when there were some injuries and he didn't play as well through a few more picks, completion percentage wasn't as high. If he started in September with those games and then the end of his season was how the beginning of his season went in reality for in September and October, there would have been a lot more buzz about him. So he kind of left a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of scouts and draft analysts. But really what I saw from him with the arm strength, the accuracy, especially down the field, and the athleticism, moving inside the pocket, getting through his reads, is he somewhat raw? Of course, because he just has not played very much. But he's going to be an interesting prospect because the talent, to me, is first-round caliber. Dane Brugler of The Athletic, and I put this in my article, um, tweeted that most people that he's talked to have him as a developmental day three player. I don't see that. I I truly don't. I'm not going to say if I was a GM, I would pick Jamie Newman at number 15 overall right now, but I think he, even without playing in this college football season, once the pre-draft process rolls around and people see how much of a specimen he is, that I think he could rise up draft boards. Maybe he'll go in the second round. He won't, but I I could see him being to me as a first round caliber player. I did an instant reaction video on Twitter right after the news broke, and I said, "Look, I I think he's still a first round caliber talent. I don't think he's going to go in the first round now because there's just he's not a sure thing. We have a small sample size." of what Jamie Newman has done. Unfortunate for the Georgia Bulldogs, but they do have JT Daniels, who just transferred there this offseason as well. Former top recruit, flashed at USC as a freshman, got Wally pipped by Keaton Slovis, and now he will be the starter for the Bulldogs this season. It's a team that isn't loaded with NFL draft prospects because they're just so young. They've had so much roster turnover, sent a lot of good players to the NFL over the past couple seasons since Kirby Smart took over that program. Uh, but there's a lot of young talent on that Georgia team. Uh, and I still th- I still think they can compete for the SEC um, because JT Daniels does have a lot of natural ability as well. And now he has the opportunity to boost his draft stock in this offense run by someone that was just the offensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns and before that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers working with Jameis Winston and Mike Evans so it'll be interesting to follow that team and certainly fascinating in the next few months once we get into draft season in 2021 how people view Jamie Newman but I was enamored by what I saw from him and in that scouting profile that came out last fall I, I wrote that he was the best kept secret and had first round potential. Again, right after that article, things kind of went south. So I, I was a little bit further, or I was kind of a little more down on him after that. But Jamie Newman's a fascinating guy because he checks a lot of the boxes, both from the advanced skill perspective and just from the uh, talent perspective and size perspective and arm strength perspective. The other big news yesterday, moving away from the NFL draft, Leonard Fournette. Signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I truly did not believe on this podcast I was going to really be talking about Leonard Fournette really at all. And now this is the second episode that I brought up that I've, I've felt compelled to bring up Leonard Fournette when he got waved and talked about what I or how I viewed him as a prospect. Uh, but And 
to not just continue to, to say everything that you've probably already heard or read, uh, I think with Fournette signing with the Buccaneers, first off, it's s- such a weird and diverse running back room that there's LaShawn McCoy, there's Ronald Jones, the former second-round pick just two years ago. There's uh, Dari Agumbawale, who's projecting as that James White type of out-of-the-backfield, third-down target for Tom Brady. There is Keyshawn Vaughn. Tampa Bay Buccaneers just picked him in the third round a few months ago out of Vanderbilt. And he was a fascinating prospect to me, or just strange, because in 2018, I thought he could have been a back end of the first round or an early second round selection. He was explosive, contact balance, big, powerful. And then in 2019, the blocking wasn't as good for Vanderbilt, but Keyshawn Vaughn's film, he just looked slow and sl- way more sluggish, not as dynamic as he was in 2018, but he still went in the third round to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's on that roster, and now you add Leonard Fournette, who's kind of this runaway train that is not going to make anyone miss particularly well, and he's not even that great running through tackles. But if the blocking is good, and the Buccaneers have done a lot, to add to that offensive line, Tristan Wirfs in round one, I thought was one of the best picks in the entire first round of the 2021 draft. Uh, Ryan Jensen at that center position adds a lot of nastiness, mean streak, whatever you, whatever term you like to use for just those blockers that really get after it, especially in the run game. Ryan Jensen has that. Uh, Donovan Smith, to me, is the biggest question mark, the left tackle. At times, he can look like an all-pro. And then in other games and other quarters, he can look like he belongs on the bench or that he shouldn't have gotten this extension that the uh, Buccaneers gave him recently. But the last thing about Fournette that I'll say is that there's been so much, oh, I didn't like him, he's not that good, he's overrated. And I I agree with most of those. I, I was in those camps with Leonard Fournette when he got released that I was surprised that the Jaguars didn't let him just play out the final year of his rookie contract. But, yeah, I thought he was overrated, and and he's been overrated since he was a prospect. But from that, it's just interesting that where a player is selected has such a big – it's such a big part of how we view them regardless of how good they play. If they're a first-round pick – even if they're Leonard Fournette, even if they're Greg Robinson, even if they are Jake Locker initially, Christian Ponder, or players that are are first-rounders that are in that same Fournette realm where they're not instant superstars, which you would hope to get at the number four overall selection, but they are terrible. Having that first-round draft status on your NFL resume, I think, goes a long way. And when you're not producing, it's very easy to say, look, this guy was number four overall pick. Uh, and that some teams say, hey, he deserves another chance. He was number four overall selection. But media and draft analysts like myself, fans say, oh, this guy was terrible. He was a huge, huge bust. If Leonard Fournette was just selected where he should have been selected, which to me, I had him as my fifth running back. I don't I didn't do a big board uh, in 2017, I don't believe, but I had positional rankings. It was before I was with CBS. Uh, At that time, I was the editor-in-chief of Buffalo Rumbling, so I certainly dived into the NFL draft deep like I normally did, uh, and I do every year now, of course, but I didn't do a big board. But 
I don't know. I would have picked him in the late second, third round. We would have viewed him totally differently. It would have been like, wow, we got two or the Jaguars got two 1,000 yard seasons out of this third round pick. Doesn't really make anyone miss, but he's six foot, 240 pounds, runs four five one, which that size and speed ratio is pretty incredible. I went back to look at the combine. There's only one, I believe, one player in the last 20 years that was above, that was at least 240 pounds and ran faster than Leonard Fournette, that 4.51. That was TJ Duckett. Remember him out of Michigan State in 2002? And unless there was a typo on the site that I use, and pro football reference combine results are, are pretty good. I, I haven't r- like run into any issues with that site being wrong. Apparently Duckett ran... Four four five at two hundred and fifty four pounds, which that's insane. Didn't really make it as a quality NFL player, but he was. I remember him in college. He was good. He's the only player that at over two hundred and forty pounds ran faster than Leonard Fournette's four five one. There might be one. Like now that I'm saying this, I, I think there may have been one other that maybe ran four four nine. But regardless. It's very rare to find someone that's that squatty that can run 4.51. So Fournette is fast for his size. Is 4.51 fast for a running back? No, not really. There's a lot of running backs today that run in the 4.4s, a few that can even run and, and did test in the 4.3s at the Combine. So that's just how I'm kind of looking at all of this, that, yeah, he was a fourth overall pick. I thought certainly he was a bust of a pick. But he shouldn't have gone there. He should have been picked in the second round at the earliest, probably later than that. I mean, if you're saying the second round, you are putting him in the same category. Again, that 2017 draft class at the running back position, even as that position was really starting to get devalued and teams were realizing that, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, Austin Eckler went undrafted, Kareem Hunt, so many talented running backs, and they all went way later outside of Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Joe Mixon went in the second round. Dalvin Cook, second round. Aaron Jones, fifth round. Austin Eckler, again, undrafted. Kareem Hunt, third round. So, I don't know. I, I guess I would have fit Leonard Fournette probably somewhere in the back part of round two. Marlon Mack got picked later. He was in that draft class as well. I was a huge fan of him. I had him just ahead of Leonard Fournette as my number four running back in that draft class. But it'll be interesting to see. I can't imagine right now, and we're a few days away from when teams have to get down to their 53-man rosters. Saturday at 4 p.m. is the deadline. Are the Buccaneers really going to keep LaShawn McCoy, Leonard Fournette, Keyshawn Vaughn, Dari Agumbawale, and Ronald Jones? Five running backs, maybe... Bruce Arians is going to st- try to start a new trend and, and do a, a five running back committee where no one gets more than 100 ca- or gets more than 75 carries. But usually, and what's the conventional wisdom going into this year forever at the running back spot is that running backs like to get into a rhythm. They don't, they're not at their best only getting five to 10 carries a game. But maybe in terms of preservation for these running backs throughout an entire season. Maybe that's what they're going to do. Wouldn't surprise me if LaShawn McCoy is released. Uh, he's the oldest of the group and was pretty insignificant on a Chiefs team last year. Did get a Super Bowl ring, but it was like big news when the 
Chiefs signed him, and then he didn't really. He had a few good outings early, and then I believe he got injured, but then really wasn't a factor uh, for that Chiefs team last season. Uh, he's, of course, into his 30s now. It wouldn't surprise me if they ultimately, or in, in the next couple days, release LaShawn McCoy because five running backs on the roster, and you have Cameron Brait, you have O.J. Howard, you have Rob Gronkowski in the tight end room, a bunch of receivers, Scotty Miller, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. I just don't know if there's enough roster space to keep all of these players. And it's got to be crazy for Keyshawn Vaughn, a roller coaster, third-round pick, playing with Tom Brady, all this talent on the offensive side. And then you see your team sign LaShawn McCoy and then sign Leonard Fournette a week before the season starts. It's going to be hard for him to really get any amount of carries uh, of significance this season in that offense. I didn't think he should have been a first, third round pick, should have got picked much later, just didn't see the same juice from him in 2019 as I saw in 2018. But yeah, Leonard Fournette, we should just kind of view him as what he should have been as a late second or a third round pick. I think the thought and his reputation uh, surrounding Leonard Fournette would be a lot different if we viewed him, not by where a team made the mistake by picking him number four overall, but that he should have been a third-round pick or a late second-rounder. All right, that'll do it for me today. I'm sure we'll get more NFL news as we lead up to the start of the NFL season. A week from today, Chiefs and Texans, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, a rematch of that ridiculous comeback that turned into a blowout by the Kansas City Chiefs in the second round last year. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.